Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of, the, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. This is a bit of a, um, I don't know, if I, an unexpected sermon. Um, I have been, I had a chewed on this passage. So for those of you, you know, um, who aren't here, we, we, this is our third go-around on this text. I preached this at Easter, then we had like a part two um, the week after Easter, and then, you know, I wasn't here last Sunday. And so, um, Pastor Young was supposed to be preaching this Sunday. I wasn't, I didn't think I'd get a chance to preach. Um, but while I was meditating on this text, I actually thought I had a good four sermons at least out of this text, and I was like, oh, you know, but we have to move on, and so I didn't think I would get to preach this sermon. But um, since he was sick, I offered to say, hey, you know, I, I think I have a sermon in me. And so what we'll, we decided to return to our Easter text um, before we go back. And so we'll see. I'm not sure if we'll, we'll, we'll go back next. Uh, the, the original plan was that we'd go back to our, our, our Lord and King series starting next week. But um, I wanted to, to return back to this Easter passage. It's a deep and profound passage. And um, it's really about hurting it's about how we deal with death and dying. That's really what it's about. And um, so I entitled this message, Weeping with Hope. And um, if you haven't heard the first two messages, it's on our website or on our YouTube channel. You can go ahead. You don't have to hear those to understand this 
text, um, I mean, this message today, uh, and I won't go into the whole story. Um, but the, this this passage, and I'll just say this just as, as, a, as an orientation for those who didn't hear the other two messages. Everybody knows that this is a story about a dead man named Lazarus, and Jesus brought him back from the dead. Um, that's a pretty spectacular thing. Um, I, I don't think that's what this story is really about. <laughs> the real... The real center of the story is not that a dead man came back from the dead. The real story is the pain of his sisters. It's about them. Most of the story is about them. And, well, he's dead, and then at the end, he just gets to come back to life, which is, everybody only remembers that part. But actually, if you follow the story, it's about their pain. And so, let's get into it in three parts. Part one what is real life and living? What is real life and living? Part two, the power for weeping yet with hope. Let's just say something quickly about that. Most of us in our culture, we either want to be happy, happy, and everything is great. <laughs> you know, my, my body's healthy. Everybody I know is healthy. We have money. Our career is chopping forward. We're getting into the right colleges, et cetera, et cetera. We're happy. Or something has gone wrong and it's bad and now we're sad and we're miserable and you know we're, we're, we're maybe we're angry, we're upset, whatever, but it's bad. But I think this passage is offering a third thing, one that our culture doesn't really understand, which is there's rightful times to cry and weep, yet with hope. That there is a, a wellspring, a foundation of hope, even joy, in the midst of crying. And so that's why it's the power for weeping yet with hope. That's part two. And part three, I want to close and, um, by a portion that I'm going to call Truth and Love Entering Pain. Truth and Love Entering Pain. Two weeks ago, I gave you a message that truth and love meets suffering. Well, truth and love is Jesus. Will we be in the resurrection and the life? I don't think if death, dying, pain, it is the acid test if you understand what it means to live in the resurrection and the life. If you can live in Christ, which means you are in the one who calls himself the resurrection and the life, then you have something, you have an eternal life, a kind of life that can deal with death, dying, and pain. And so can you have the resource to enter into it? That's what we're going to talk about. So part one, what is real life and living? I want to take you to um, the, the verse, the key verse. So verse 25, Jesus said to her, this is in his discussion with Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then it gets even stranger. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. <laughs> Do you believe this? Now, he said this to Martha. I think this passage is there so that anybody who is considering Christ, and certainly for those who are followers of Christ like Martha, he's asking you, you believe this? He's asking me, do you believe this? Now, if you are, are you know, you consider yourself a, you know, a born-again follower of Jesus, you're baptized, you go to church and you love Jesus, all that other good stuff, um, you know the answer is yes, I believe this, because <laughs> it's Jesus, and so that's the right answer. 
I want you to stop for a moment and, and then take the right Christian answer off your head. Don't be a good Christian and give the right sound answer. Let's not be so quick to give that answer. Let's just wrestle with what he is saying. And because um, certainly anybody who comes into the you know, church and does not believe in Jesus, if they hear those words, they're going to be like, what the heck are you talking about? First, it's weird. I am the resurrection. Not I offer you resurrection and life. <laughs> I give it. No, I am this. And for those of you, um, you know, who didn't hear the other message, this is the way John talks, especially, I mean, John, the Gospel of John reports the way Jesus likes to talk. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the truth, way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I mean, it's weird. <laughs> Not I give you life, but I am the life. <laughs> That's who I am. It's, it's big, bold, even in, if you aren't, well, if, basically, if you aren't God, you're crazy, okay? Um, but then he says this thing, and so here's the part I want you to just consider, just so stop being a good Christian, just listen, all right? Um, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What does that mean? Then it gets weirder. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Hmm. Now, um, anybody who's not a Christian, they're going to read that and going, that's, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> Christians die just like anybody else. People believe in Jesus and they die. So 2,000 years of Christian history, as far as I know, 100% of them have died. <laughs> so what is going on? What is, is, is this just Jesus talking weird? I think he is problematizing these worth life, he, these words, life, death, living, dying. He's making us think about those words differently. I think that's what he's doing. Um, and so I want to ask you this question. I, I said this in, in you know, I, I kind of did this on Easter Sunday. I said there's a difference between being alive and living. You could be alive, you're breathing, you have health. You have food, you make money, you're alive. Okay, fine. But inside, you're dying. And if you remember my Easter sermon, you know, we had a lot of teenagers in the room since we had a joint service with our youth. And I, and I, you know, I kind of gave that little thing about getting the pimple when you're 13 years old and then it doesn't heal. And so, you know, at least physically, it's a quick little sign that you're dying. And, and you know, it's, it's not so funny when you get to like my age when you're in your mid 40s. And then you have days when your body, does, like you're like, oh, <laughs> this machine, this machine called life is, is running down. You can feel it. All you young people who don't feel this, well, I hate you. <laughs> but, um, but guess what? I will get the right revenge. You will, you will get this, to experience this very soon, okay? But that's just, that's just the physical portion of it, hmm. all right? That's just the physical portion of it. But there's worse kinds of living yet dying. You know, something happens in your life that just hurts you deeply. So physically, you're healthy. You got the food, you got the money, and you got a roof over your head and all that kind of stuff. But inside, you're just crumbling. Hmm. I mean, lots of people in our city like that. Sometimes they can hide it very well. They're at work. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all cool. Yeah. And then go home, and then they, you know, then they, then they just drink, <laughs> drink themselves into, you know, into into like into oblivion. And some people can't hide it so well. And they, they cut themselves and they're dying. 
I don't think Jesus is just talking about you're breathing, you're alive versus dead. He is talking about life, like you're alive, you can, you're living. So if you have him, you will be alive. You can live. Even if you die, you live. And if you have him, you never die. That's what, oh, wow. It's weird words. Um, I wanted to try to see if I could get this across to you. Uh, you know, there's a, this life that we call life, most of us, when we think about life, we just think about this life. <laughs> the life that hopefully will last till 80, 90, or 100. And hopefully it will be mostly good. But I think, to the Lord's perspective, this life is mostly dying. <laughs> if you're honest, that's true. I, I, in our culture, since we live in a wealthy culture, um, we are in denial of it all the time. All the time. But if you live in most of history, <laughs> which is like basically early 20th century or <laughs> forward, okay, um, death and dying is everyday thing. You know, you, you're, you're the fourth out of six kids, and there are not six kids in the family right now. Two of them didn't make it. Okay, and, and dad may make it till he's 70, but mom's going to die when she's 47. <laughs> totally normal. And, you know, it's strange because we live in this more wealthy, so-called advanced society. What it really has done is made us shallow in understanding life versus death that the Jesus is challenging here. What it really means to be alive, really means to live. So what we do is we are in the denial of death, and then we are alive, but we're dying. <laughs> so give you, let me give you a picture of this. Um, what in, I want to ask you a question. Any of you would like to live forever in this life, this kind of life? I know you guys already know that the right answer is no. <laughs> but some of you young people are like, sure, I would love to live forever. I don't want to, like, that'd be awesome. I don't have to worry about dying. You know, in this, I have this life, and when I'm not going to die... Um, you might not really, really want that. Hmm. Now, any of you ever seen the movie um, Death Becomes Her? Any of you seen this movie? Whoa, one person. That matches the total of first service. <laughs> one person. I can see this is such a great and awesome and, you know. Okay, this movie is, okay, so it's, okay, this, this is not a long time ago for some of you young people, but you will think this is a long time ago. This was in 1992. Okay, 1992, this movie came out. The director is Robert Zemeckis. Any of you guys know who Robert Zemeckis is? All right, um, he, he's one of the truly great directors of Hollywood. And at the time, I went to go see this movie, and I didn't like it. I was, I was very young. In 1992, I was still pretty young. And, um, and the movie came out, they marketed it. It was like executive, executive producer is Steven Spielberg. If I heard that on TV, I didn't care. Commercial. Steven Spielberg had a part in it, I'd go watch it. I have no idea what it's about, I don't really care, I just go watch it. Except it was directed by Robert Zemeckis and it's a black comedy. So you guys, do you guys like black comedies? It's like a movie that's supposed to be funny, but it's really dark. And so, and at that time, I hated black comedy, I didn't know it was gonna be a black comedy, and I, so I really disliked the movie, I didn't understand the movie. I think I, I should, I didn't re-watch it to, to, to preparation, but I thought of this. 
I, I think maybe I'll appreciate the movie more if I, uh, if I watch it. Um, but here's what the movie's about. It's about, um, there's a couple, um, and I think the, the woman's name is Helen. And, um, and she, is, um, she has a fiancé, his name is Ernest. I think Ernest is played by Bruce Willis, young, younger Bruce Willis before he's lost all his hair, right? And I think Helen is played by, I think it's, she's played by Meryl Streep, younger uh, Meryl Streep. And um, they go to a party given by, um, by Helen's old rival. Helen has a rival named Madeline. Madeline has become a Hollywood star. She's played by Goldie Hawn. She's like beautiful, she's rich, she's successful, she has the life. So she has this party, and so Madeline and Helen um, are not really friends, they're really enemies. You know, this term frenemies, except they're really not friends at all, they're really just enemies, they hate each other, okay? And, um, and so Helen is an aspiring writer, and um, Ernest is a, uh, is a plastic surgeon. They go to this party, Madeline is gorgeous, beautiful, glamorous, Ernest falls in love with Madeline, leaves Helen, and marries her. Okay? And so then what happens is Helen, she, gets, she goes into anger and depression. She starts like putting on weight, and she's angry, and she's like, all she thinks about is like how she's going to get revenge to Madeline. And then the movie fast forwards. Fast forward to a, you know, a certain number of years later. And then Madeline... And Ernest are married, they're living in Beverly Hills, but they're miserable. <laughs> because now, Madeline's career is on the downside because she's starting to lose her looks. And even though he was a plastic surgeon, of course, apparently, I guess he used to have like a lot of great clients because of her fame, but now that her fame is dipping, he, can't, he doesn't have a good job now. Now his job, this is his job, he works for the, the, the morgue. You guys know what the morgue is, right? That's where the dead bodies go. And his job is to paint the bodies on the, the dead bodies so they will look good when they die. <laughs> you know, when they, in, their, in, in the funeral. That's his job. And they're, they're now, they now have a miserable life. Helen wrote a book. And she, this is a best-selling book. And now she has a party, and she invites them to the party. <laughs> so they go to the party, and they're stunned Helen, who used to be kind of overweight and like filled with anger and depression, and she went, you know, she had to go through therapy and was even in mental health, you know, services and so forth. Now she looks like she's got it all because she's gorgeous and, you know, and she's got a good figure and like everybody thinks she's so great because she wrote this bestseller. And now Ernest starts to like, has feelings for his old fiance now because she's all hot and great. So then what Helen does is tell Essentially, she pulls Ernest in, she attracts him, and then she, they come up with a plot so that together they will murder Madeline. <laughs> now, okay, what does this have to do with the sermon? Okay, so Madeline, Madeline, okay, so it's a kind of a long setup. Madeline, knowing that, like, you know, Helen is the big shot now, but she's getting older, she goes to her local spa where they make her look good, good looking. And then the woman knows that she's starting to lose her looks, so she's very sympathetic. You need to go see this special woman who will help you get back your youth and everything, okay? So then she goes to this special woman, and this woman is very mysterious, and she claims that she's very, that she's like in her 70s, but she looks gorgeous and young. And he goes, here's the secret. 
Give me a lot of money and you can drink the special potion. And if you drink the special potion, you won't die. And you have a chance of keeping all your looks. Ha. Ah. Now let me ask you this question. Would you drink that potion? Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds really good. That's exactly what Madeline does. She buys it, drinks it, and then, but she doesn't know it, but, you know, Helen and, remember, Helen hates Madeline's guts. <laughs> they murder her, and her, her, she breaks her neck, and her head gets all twisted completely opposite around, but guess what? She, like, doesn't die. <laughs> she doesn't die. And then she like twists her head back. You can hear, you know, the bones creak back. She, and then she's still talking. And then like, of course, and like, Ernest is like completely horrified. They thought they were going to bury her. They even went to the morgue. Her, her temperature dropped. And then what happens is she keeps, and then she's angry that now that they try to murder her. So then she gets, tries to get back at Helen. And like, I think they shoot, I think they, there's a portion in the movie where they shoot her with a shotgun and boom, Right? Helen is shot with a shotgun, but, but she doesn't die. So what you find out is that the race, Helen had taken the potion too. And so what the rest of the movie is, is the two of them constantly trying to murder each other, <laughs> but they don't die. <laughs> and then each time they murder each other, like their body gets messed up. And so what they do is then they have to tell Ernest, okay, you do your stuff. You know, like they're kind of like a walking corpse. Do your stuff and make my body look all good again because I want to look beautiful. Paint my body and paint my face. And, and that's the movie. So they have life. But let me ask you, are they living? See? Because the thing that makes their life life is their vanity and their anger and their hatred. And if you have vanity and light, vanity is the thing that gives you life, guess what? And then you never die? Now you're just in hell. That's what the rest of the movie is. It's a kind of like horrific living hell. It's, and, and it's said in this dark black comedy, but it's actually very, it's a really, really serious commentary. The movie was made to skewer Hollywood. But, but if you think about it, back then in 1992, everybody probably watched it and was, oh, these stupid Hollywood people are so shallow. They just care about vanity and looks and money and all this other stuff, right? But today, that movie, I'm, I'm afraid, would skewer pretty much almost all our culture. <laughs> so what's life? What's real life? That's the first question. Let's go to part two. Um, the power for weeping yet with hope. I want to start with this by asking you a question. What is the worst part of death or um, this dying life? What is the worst part? Um, I'm going to give you an answer. Maybe you will agree with it. Maybe you won't. But you know, just, just bracket your dis If you do disagree with me, just bracket that for a moment. Because if it's not the worst part, it's certainly one of the worst parts. Um, I think this is the worst thing in life. And I was thinking about this while reading this passage, and this passage depicts it. It's this. There's somebody that you really, really love in life. You love them. You really love them. And they even love you. And then they die. And you have to say goodbye to them for good. <laughs> I think 
That's one of the worst things about death and this life. Why? Because you really, really love them. And they love you. And then they die. And you say goodbye to them. And that goodbye is permanent. You know what that means? That means the love dies. I think that's the worst thing. Maybe some of you don't think that's the worst thing. Now, um, I, the reason I say it that way is because um, I, I don't know if I'm weird. Am I just weird I'm, 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 or, or morbid? Um, I believe that in Christ it's possible to have a life where you can cast out all your fears. I have one great fear in my life. It's not dying. I am not afraid to die. Okay, I mean, like, really, I'm not afraid to die. <laughs> Some of you may not believe me, but I'm not. I'm not. I really am not. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I eat potato chips and ice cream, and people say you won't live very long. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I have potatoes and ice cream. <laughs> and so that means I'm, I'm only going to live till 75? Big deal. <laughs> I don't, I'm not afraid to die. I mean, you know, cancer would be terrible. I'm not even afraid of cancer. I mean, if I die, I'd rather die suddenly. Car accident, boom, I'm just gone, right? That would be better. <laughs> Horrible for my family, obviously, but if I'm going to die, I'd rather go like that than cancer, but I'm not even afraid of cancer. What I am afraid of is that there are certain people that I deeply love in this life, and um, I'm afraid that they will die, <laughs> and I will lose them. And um, there are actually many people, right? and um, some of you. <laughs> and if you died, it would cause me searing pain. <laughs> Not kind of pain, the kind of pain that would, I, I, I can't just wake up the next day and get along, get on. And then there's some people who die, and you can guess, like um, my wife, I think about, okay, like I said, this sounds kind of morbid. I actually think about her death fairly regularly, <laughs> okay? Like she does something for me, and I'm like, dude, if she's not around, I'd have to do this for myself. <laughs> and I stink at this. <laughs> like, you know, she makes a meal that, that, like, is her meal. Like, I know that she's, like, literally only two people can make this meal for me, her and my mom. And my mom is old. And she's better at it now. My wife is better at this meal than my mom. These are literally the only two people that can make this meal. So, like, if Grace goes, this meal is over. <laughs> and nobody can cook it. And I will, every time I think about this meal, it'll just be the gigantic hole of not having my wife. Right? And I think about that pretty regularly. And I think, can I come back? I'm not quite sure. I think I could, okay, if I lost my wife. But I'm pretty sure if I lost one of my three kids, I don't know if I could come back. I really don't know if I could come back. Right. Now, theoretically, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I believe this passage, you know, that you die, that shall you live. I mean, Jesus says all that. Okay, okay, great, great. That's good. I believe that, Jesus. But that's, okay, that's right now. But I don't really know if I truly, truly believe that till it happens. <laughs> if one of my kids were to die, I don't know if I could come back. 
Or if I come, it would be such a gaping wound. I think I would be like bleeding out so bad. Um, I would have a comeback, but it would be like a, a scar so big. I, I, I don't think I'd ever, I could, could ever be the same. That's what this passage is about. It's not about Lazarus dying. It's about Martha and Mary losing their beloved brother. And they are in searing pain. They both say it. If you were here, he wouldn't be dead. <laughs> and now we're bleeding out inside. <laughs> That's what it's about. Do you have the resources to deal with that? And by the way, um, it's not just happens in your life. Um, it's going to happen to everybody. <laughs> everybody. Those of you who are younger, you haven't really, maybe you haven't dealt with this yet, but you just start getting to a certain age in your life and important people just start to die. And funerals, so when you're younger, weddings are more common and baby births are common. You start getting older, funerals are starting to become semi-regular and then regular events to go to. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a middle-aged pastor, and as a pastor who, you know, I, you know, I mostly have a, a relatively young congregation, so you wouldn't think I've, 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 I've dealt with this much. But actually, because we're partnered with a Korean-speaking congregation, and a, a lar- there's a, a large percentage of them who are elderly, and I pastor their sons and daughters, and sometimes their grandsons and their granddaughters. Um, I've gone to a lot of funerals, a lot of memorial services. And let me tell you something. Nobody ever talks about what college this person, this person died. Nobody ever tells you what college they went to. Nobody tells you, what, you know, uh, how much money that they made or where they got to in their career, nobody cares. You go to a funeral, you go to a memorial service, they don't go, oh, you know, Mr. John Lee, he, he drove a Rolls Royce. <laughs> they don't ever say that at a funeral, right? You know, nobody cares about that. You know what they, t- ever, you know what they always say at a, at a funeral memorial service? This guy, John. Or this woman, you know, Jane, she loved us well. That's what they always say. Something or another. It's really interesting. Sometimes you can kind of hear between the lines. The kids say something about their dad, and you can kind of hear between the lines that they mostly thought that their dad was a rat. (laughs) But today, they're going to remember the five because that's all they got, five. <laughs> Out of all the memories that they're there, they only have like five good memories, and those are the ones that they're going to say. <laughs> the five times in their life, he wasn't a rat. He actually acted like a dad and loved us, although most of the time he was horrible. <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> and here is what the resurrection and the life does when he comes. Because dying and the most terrible thing of death, that is a part of this life. Life. 
And when the resurrection and the life comes in, you know what he does is really interesting. First, he gives us the biggest truth. I am the resurrection and life. I'm real life. And if you have me, even if you die, yet shall you live. That's a big, big truth. And the other thing he does is he weeps. He cries. When we cry. Because this life, there'll be many tears. There's a lot of dying. I want to close with this portion. Truth and love entering pain. The true God came into this life and he brought everlasting life. When he says, I am the resurrection life, he's like saying, I am eternal life and I am eternal life. I am real life. And in me is no death at all. In fact, in me is a life so great you can face death. That's what the death and resurrection of Christ is. To know Jesus is to be united to him and in his death and resurrection. It's, there's nothing cheap about it. If you're going to be in this life, you're going to have to deal with death, dying, and pain. Serious, serious pain. The worst kind of pain. The kind as I said goodbye to my brother. And I am dying right now. I know he's dead, but I'm dying. I am living, but right now, when he's gone, I'm not sure if I can live anymore. It's like if I were to lose one of my kids, it's like, okay, that movie is not very funny anymore. This action flick, that car chase, ha, ha, whatever, who cares? Okay, give me... Give me a pint of haagen Heck, a gallon of haagen It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because I'm dying. The life, this life in me is like not enough to deal with the fact that our love seems to be gone. And he who is truth and love itself came into this world and he said, I will, into all your pain, give me all your pain. All your dying. Your sinning, my sins, it's dying. You understand? It's like hell. Hellishness coming into this thing. It's like we're all Helens and Madelines, except maybe vanity is not your thing. It's something else. And we're all trying to make this life as, as, as eternal as it can be, but really we don't know that it's just another way of just making our own little hells. Unless you have the resurrection and the life. And the resurrection and the life brings a love that cannot die. And we say goodbye to people in Christ. The goodbye is never for good. Because even though you die, yet shall you live. And even though you're dying, you will live. That's the promise of the one who is the resurrection and life.
And when he walks in right into this horrible funeral, and now the most terrible pain is there, you know what he offers? It's really interesting. He offers weeping with hope. That's what he offers. Have you ever been around people who are so sad and the depression is so dark? It's hard to be around them. <laughs> and most of us, because we like to live in the denial, denial. Let's be happy, happy. It can't be, oh, I don't want to be sad. Even your sadness, your sadness, okay, what, okay. That's how we normally are. <laughs> so, but actually, you know what people need who are really, really hurting, who are dying? They need you to enter into their pain. Just be with them. Just be with them. Enter the pain. Cry with them. And then have some hope. They don't have it anymore. It's like, I'm just dying and crying and it's dark here. But you could cry with them, which means you're bringing the love. And you have the hope because you have the truth that in Jesus, love does not die, and goodbyes are not forever. You can cry with love, and yet with hope. It is a very, very powerful. And you know, when, you were, when we're doing that, a little piece of resurrection, eternal life is being lived and practiced. It's not this gross, disgusting Helen versus Madeline, life is about vanity. Instead, something like heavenly, eternal love is facing the most terrible pain and dying of this life. Eternal resurrection, the resurrection of the life is breaking into this life, this dying. And so... Believe in Jesus. Not just the Jesus who paid for my sins and now I get to go to a good place after I'm dead and I'll just, let's like be fearful and like, oh no, try to make everything all good. And all this life is constantly avoid suffering, no hurt. Let's be in denial, denial, denial. No, that, that's not the resurrection in life. That's the phony, fake, weak, fearful, this life, dying life. But if we have his life, we have a love and a truth and a hope, even a weeping that's never cheap. It's a love that won't die. That's real life. So I hope you and I will run to that life. And as we enter, we can enter into the dying and the pain and the suffering of those around us, including your own. And remember, Jesus is there for your pain, and we can take Jesus and his hope into other people's pain and weep with them. Let's pray. Lord, we're not good at this. Oh, Lord Jesus. We're more good at living the, the weak, fake, phony, dying life. Filled with all our fears and all our insecurities. We don't know how to live in courage, live in hope, live with pain and sorrow, 
yet with hope. We don't know how to weep, yet with strength, with eternity, the strength of eternal life with us. We only constantly know how to be fearful of death and hellishness. And we always try to do this on our own strength. But when we don't realize this, we have the one who has conquered hell itself. <laughs> the one who has gone to the cross and said, I will enter into your pain. I will enter into your shame. I will enter into your sin, which is your worst dying. And I will swallow it up with my life. I will give you the life of forgiveness. I will give you the life of mercy. I will give you a love which never dies, which means crying with you when you're hurting. Let us live and walk in that life with Jesus. <laughs> and let us not be afraid to cry and weep and enter into pain because we enter into pain not by ourselves. We enter into pain with him. He who is the resurrection, the life, real life with a capital L, which conquers all the dying of this life. Help us to walk with him, laugh with him, and even weep with him. And throw away all our fears and insecurities. Because we can die and yet shall we live as long as we have him. In his name we pray. Amen.